0: hello and welcome to the et phd team podcast the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you i'm Amelia, a registered nutritionist and phd with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier if you love it please do go wild and share it and if you're ready for support with our coaching details are in the show notes Hello and welcome to episode number 197 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Anna. Hi, Anna, how are you? Hello,
1: I am really well, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm also really well, thanks. And Georgia, how are you?
1: Also really well,
0: thanks. (laughs) How are you? Oh, great. Well, what what a team we are. This is rare that we're all buzzing off our tits to be here.
1: I mean, what a win for the middle of the week, have
0: I know I did just get my eyebrows um, threaded and tinted and then I had 10 minutes before the podcast and I got home and I thought oh I've got time to just like get myself together and then I looked in the mirror (laughs) like oh my word it was like I had just slugs across my head the dye had obviously gone up into my forehead a little bit and
1: so I was just rushing around so if I've got like sluggy eyebrows
0: it's just not at
1: all. Not at all. Do you know what? I actually have to warn the beautician when I go because I'm like, oh, yeah, my skin goes really red. It's not like allergy. It's not anything bad. It's just, they just go bright red. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then they do it. And they're like, oh, you weren't wrong. I'm
0: like, (laughs) panicking. I always cry when I get stuff threaded as well. I'm always like, I'm fine. It's just a natural response. I'm not upset. I'm not in pain. And every single time they're like, oh, do you want to stop? I'm like, no. (laughs) <laughs> keep going um yeah so none just
2: that. your eyes water because mine used to water loads and I had them threaded but it, it wasn't like it wasn't that it was painful it's just that my eyes would stream I guess because you're so close to like
0: where your eyes are what else would water if it's no, not know I, like, I don't know, <laughs> know. So, like, I don't know what else maybe <laughs> um okay um before we start just a heads up don't listen to nutrition advice from like podcasts that are not nutrition podcasts even nutrition podcasts a lot of them are crap obviously not us but the most recent podcast um from diary of a ceo again no i have no ill feelings towards podcasts i think he has some great guests on there i don't personally listen to it so much anymore because of the nutrition, quality of nutrition stuff on there is getting worse and worse and worse. And it sounds like it's peddling, like trying to pedal some narrative about a dietary pattern that maybe the host likes or that all of his guests seems to seem to promote. Um, and it's a shame because some like he has such good guests on there and he's had good fitness and health guests on there too. But just recently, the nutrition stuff is so, so awful i think one of i i I like to listen to the full episode before i know that i'm going to get questions on it so i listened to the full episode of it this morning and and they were talking about like like one of the clips i think they shared is how your midsection is directly really really, the amount of fat you store on your midsection is related to the size of your brain as you get older and your brain shrinks as your belly (laughs) gets bigger or something like that it was something really obscure and other like just I would say 90% of what's in that most recent podcast in terms of nutrition advice is wrong. And I had a conversation with Rosalind about this because she was like, you know, I'm I'm just trying to explain it to someone because I've already had some questions. And it's like, at some point, it's like the burden needs to be on the person to prove what they are saying. Now, science doesn't prove anything ever. And if someone ever says science has proven something, they don't know what they're talking about. But we can't spend our entire lives like, saying this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. We can only spend our lives trying to put out good quality information. But so much of this, so, so much of this what this guy was saying was like, I'm not a nutrition professional. No, I'm not an academic. Um, but you know, I got in to study something at uni, sports science or something at uni. So, you know, I do understand some things. And it's, it's exactly like, the same. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, great. Now I really trust your scientific rigor. And then goes on to talk about how rats like rat studies like and using rat studies an example of what humans should then do and they're not just humans what women then do which who respond differently to men who respond differently to rodents it's just wild like the quality of that was shocking I actually laughed in the introduction and I laughed at multiple points because I, I was so like flabbergasted at just the audacity of misinformation Um, so that I just wanted to say that because I'm sure we will get some questions on this one and um Uh, that's that's most of my opinion on most of what they say anyone that said says red meat is not associated with ill health outcomes long term is generally someone to be skeptical of especially processed meat which he didn't actually say that but he is very much pro eating lots of red meat which is generally a red flag okay that's all i had to say on that podcast let's move on um (laughs) Georgia do you want to go first on the questions? Mm, Thank you okay
2: um any tips for handling nervousness when having a job interview I know I'm capable and have the right experience I prep and think through all my examples but when it comes to it I get so worked up and nervous I worry my brain will just go to scrambled egg and I won't be able to remember anything which has happened to me before when I panic that is one of Becca's clients questions.
0: Oh, I feel like well, I can a hundred percent relate to this. In the past, can you guys? It's like hundred percent. I um, remember getting so stressed out about my final year exams. It's one of the reasons I took a year off my final year exams. That I went into an exam and I could not have studied anymore if I possibly tried. Like people, I had like t- like books that I'd created that were all color coordinated. I was proper a type about it. And, like people in my class would borrow them, and I was so like prepped. And I went into multiple multiple exams and just couldn't remember a single thing. Got two one, should definitely have got a first. I was traumatised. I use that word very lightly. And it was awful. And it was because they, I was so, again, as much as this word was thrown around so much at the moment, like dysregulated, I was so terrified and nervous that it completely threw me. I've done job interviews around those times too where I just would go in and I would just sweat through my clothes and I would just forget the most basic stuff. Once I remember... I was doing a VO2 max test, which is like a, a, a test of aerobic capacity that you do as a physiologist. And I was doing it at um, a really elite level of um, job at the time when I thought I wanted to work in elite sport. And I was getting kind of assessed for my skills before I went and did it with other people. And I took a blood sample from this person's ear and I was so nervous that I threw the glass blood sample across the floor and it just smashed into smithereens like across the, like, the floor and the wall. obviously that was his blood sample ruined and that was the me showing my ability which was something i could have done with my eyes closed but i was so nervous and so sweaty that i just i couldn't cope um so hundred percent relate and how i got over it is maybe not how i would recommend you necessarily get over it now but some things I did was just put myself in more and more and more and more uncomfortable situations I think it was at that point that I started doing my exercise to music qualification <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> I know can you imagine me doing that but it, it was so like far removed from what I was comfortable with which is just teaching aerobics classes because I'm so uncoordinated the examiner was like your arms are just flailing around and I was like that's just what my arms do <laughs> like I have long lanky arms and um but and I hated it every single time I did a class. I was so nervous. But you can't you can't mess up when you're going like 100 miles an hour in front of 40 women or people, usually women in that class, and doing a an robotics class. You don't have an option but just to, to do it. So I did a lot of things like that where I just really like put myself in really uncomfortable situations. Um, I also gained weight, which I think helped a lot. I think when I was at that time, I was very underweight. I had H A at that time as well, and I was very. Um, regimented in everything that I did and I was very focused on perfectionism and I was so scared of failure and so for me gaining weight didn't make me more confident in that direct association like or direct kind of cause and effect way but as my body image improved as I gained weight and got my cycle back and felt more comfortable in myself I felt more confident going into things I also think I like the question of like well what's the worst case here like worst case is you don't get the job. Like you don't lose anything. You just don't get that job. Like nothing has to change. And it's like, oh, well, could I live with that worst case scenario of not getting this job and then going for a different job and getting that one instead? You probably could. So like, what if you got to lose? Um. And the final thing is something that I'm like, I'm going to have a visa interview at some point and I'm already nervous for that. And um, I, I've not been like nervous like this weirdly for a while. And Already I'm like, okay, I can feel what's happening with my body as the nerves come up. So thinking about strategies you can use to self-soothe in the moment. So again, a classic one I'll use for presentations is putting my hand on my heart. Or if I can't do that mid presentation, if I'm doing a big talk, I'll put my hand on my forearm, like on my other forearm and just to bring myself like to ground myself, to remind me to take breath, to remind me to be mindful and just brings me back to the present moment. Um, and the final thing is celebrating failure like I, I can't like obviously for the last six months or year that's been a big focus for me of re- reframing how I see failure and for me when I think of failure now I really do try and celebrate it as learning something or challenging myself or doing something brave as opposed to like something negative because you you have to fail otherwise you're never going to get anywhere and if that's not getting a job then think what you can learn from it or what experience you get from it
1: mm-hmm. Like, I was just thinking on the flip side of what you were saying, kind of on the, um, like, what's the worst that could happen uh, and and reframing failure. I was working through kind of limiting beliefs with a client and coming up with like, statements that she can challenge when she is kind of caught up in that moment. And one of hers, which I thought was brilliant, and it's probably one that I am going to be using myself, um, was like, why not me? oh, why, why shouldn't I be able to go ahead and interview for this job and potentially even get it? Why, why why wouldn't it be me? Because you're a fantastic person. So um, yeah, I like that one. And I was thinking in the moment, as well, strategy wise, making sure that you are breathing still, because I know if you're anything like me, and it's something I've been really mindful of this week, is that I've been definitely like breathing just I, I can feel it like not even into my chest I think like just below my neck I'm like oh my god <laughs> so take some uh nice deep breaths but you have a worry ring right and I thought um Amelia do you have no Emma a- does ring? no Emma does and she-, ah. she loves a wee spin of it but yeah not- I was gonna say something like that maybe would be again something nice that cause my go-to would be a hair tie but probably not ideal in a interview so maybe something like that that you can just kind of use to ground yourself
2: that yeah. would be my go-to I think what I like about this client is they've said that they know they're capable so they already know they can do it and they're a good candidate and um I mean some different to you but um, Emily are kind of similar I don't know if you remember this when I was working with you I had my first exam for my master's nutrition um course and i had a panic attack like in in the exam so like i sat down and as soon as they said right you can turn the pages over and you can begin and uh, my fitbit was like are you running right now and i was like no i sat down and i was dripping in sweat and um i got through the exam like by the skin of my teeth but i remember talking to you about it and you're like okay like some box bleeding would be great and i started practicing box bleeding in my lectures I would do it before my exams and then I would take it into my exam with me. And before I turn the page over, like I would do like a round of box reading and then I would read the, the question and then I would breathe again and then I would answer it. And it was never a case of like, oh, I don't think I can do it or I don't think I can get through it. I knew that I'd done the revision, but it was that classic. You go in and your mind goes blank and you come out and you're like, oh, I remember all the answers now. And it was just the pressure of the situation. So having a, something that helps you to feel grounded like in the moment can be really helpful. Um, and the last thing, really, Amelia, I'm just wondering if we can swap one of your meditation sessions for um, an ETM class on our Facebook page, because I would be down for joining in with you teaching an aerobics class.
0: absolutely not. I was like, what's an ETM class, which says a lot. Um, it's never going to happen ever, ever, ever. There <laughs> certain songs that are ingrained Gosh. in my head that I just think if I, like, what is it release me agnes that was a classic
2: (laughs) I can teach aerobics like I really enjoyed um that part of my course like it was my favorite thing and then once I qualified I didn't teach for like five years couldn't need to and then one day like an instructor just couldn't turn up and I was like (laughs) okay I'm just gonna grab a cd and see what happens and just
0: for it oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah I used to do like the really fast one of like the equivalent was like bodied body attack i think mm. of the les mills ones it was like it was wild um okay fab
1: anna question if you guys could only ever do one exercise for the rest of your days what would it be Ooh, question. Like,
0: like one actual exercise or like one type of
1: exercise it doesn't specify so i will leave it open to interpretation <laughs> If mm. it was
0: one, if it was one type of exercise, mine would probably be. I'm not including walking in this because I just kept that as just general movement. Would be resistance training, not because I love it the most, just because it would be the best thing for my health. And then, one exercise would probably be. mm, mm Oh, probably. <laughs> um rdls i think oh no oh Oh, really
2: yeah yeah because you got you got upper back mid back like shoulders glutes hamstrings only really quads that aren't getting a huge amount of stimulus but even then you're still using them
0: yeah that's cool but then maybe i think
1: leg press or something's probably more sensible Mm. i was just gonna go conventional deadlift
0: I can't do them. My my body, my hernias are no. I'm not a fan of deadlifts. I'm just jealous. I am not think that's smart.
1: But I think agreed on resistance training, regardless. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: yeah, yeah. Although I would really miss cycling because I love cycling. But yeah, for ultimate health, if I can only do one thing, I guess I'm committing to RDLs for life. <laughs>
1: massive yeah.
0: hamstrings <laughs> massive hand. but i'm also like i'm not going to lie to you it's functional but it's also aesthetics like if i could only train one muscle for the, like or one muscle group forever it would be my glutes like i'm not going to be i'm not going to pretend to to be deeper than that but i also think that's important for posture and it, it's just yeah and mm-hmm. back hell yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, I have been much more aware of people's energy and how I feel after some social interactions. I'm noticing that some friends I just don't want to be around, not feeling heard, seen, fear, or being judged, that kind of thing. I know they're all projections of my own stuff, but for the last couple of interactions, I'm out of sorts for hours afterwards. I've walked away from lots of friendships and people so it's not that I am afraid to walk away from situations that no longer serve me but I guess my question is around navigating friendships as we grow and weighing up the impact of being alone versus being around the wrong people on our health and well-being.
2: Hmm.
1: One thing I would question was is it just a projection of your own stuff or is it genuine stuff that's that's going on that isn't okay and in that sense you're you have every right to walk away and I think classic reframe rather than worrying about potentially some alone time like this is a really great time to find people that actually like you want to be around and make you feel good and potentially doing some different things to help find you those people
2: and I think also sometimes our mind goes like worst case scenario if I don't have these people in my life then I will be alone and being alone is like the worst thing ever but worst case scenario isn't really ever going to happen because you're never going to not meet new people for the rest of your life um and sometimes it is just like you said you kind of you outgrow certain relationships and then you find new ones and I think something i read oh don't judge me for like being like instagram therapy thing but i read it on instagram and it was one of those things where it's like not just looking at um like romantic relationships but also friendships as well and the idea that the end of a friendship is like a a bad thing whereas you have different friendships at different times in your life for different reasons and like people come and go and not like they serve a purpose but as in like your relationship with the other person serves a purpose like at that point you both have a need and you get on really well for whatever reason and then as you grow in different directions you kind of move on and find new friendships um and I think that's a really nice way to frame it because it's very easy to feel like bad about yourself and thinking there's something wrong with you like you said am I just projecting or actually has that friendship kind of run its course and now you're ready for the next chapter of your your life and the new people in your life as well like you're going to Finding new people.
0: So I'm going to completely go disagree with you too. I don't disagree with you too. I think that those are both important. But realistically, if your fear of being judged, you feel like you're not being heard, like I would say, actually have the conversation and don't just automatically go into this Gen Z narrative of like, well, if something's not serving you, you, just cut them off. I don't like that narrative because I think realistically, um, there are going to be seasons of your life in different relationships where that relationship is supporting you and that relationship is not supporting you and you're supporting that relationship and you're not and that is going to be transient potentially and you know I've got friendships where I've been friends with these people since I was maybe 16 and we've had years where we haven't really spoken and then years where we've been really close and I feel really connected to them and then you know it comes in and out and that's not and I I wouldn't cut those friendships off because they're not serving me or because I don't feel great every single time I hang out with them especially if it's coming from me feeling like I worry about being around them because I worry about being judged um I think that's I I think you're right to think about is it my own self-projection and is it my own stuff and in that sense it is something that you want to work through I talk like I'm being a little bit facetious here because I totally do agree with both of what, what you're saying in terms of like knowing when things are time to call call things right for sure Um, I just think that we are these days a bit quick to sort of say, well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do it. And I think that that can really, that can lead us to disconnection because we'd rather do that than have a hard, vulnerable conversation with someone that we love and say, I don't feel really like when we're together that you're really like hearing what I'm saying. I feel like you're, when I try and speak to you about my stuff, you bring it back to yourself. Or I feel like when I try and speak to you, you're maybe distracted with other things. Is there like, is that fair for me to say and is there something that we can do to try and like communicate or like rectify that and it's interesting because I think we do this a lot more with friends than we do with relationships especially as women we're like especially in heteronormative relationships we're like I'm going to make this relationship work regardless and it's toxic as hell and we're like yeah but if we just change this and we just change that and then when it comes to work or when it comes to friendships we're like nope that doesn't serve me I'm off I'll see you later and and that's really really unhelpful for so many reasons we stay in shit romantic relationships and we ruin some potentially really strong connections that we've had we have so I think just being aware of like is it a fear of judgment in which case that's stuff for you to work on is it actually that whenever you hang out they literally don't ask you a single question about yourself at all and you just come away feeling drained, in which case can you have that conversation? Or is it just because you're a little bit introverted and actually being around people does drain your energy and what you're doing is you're going to meet someone, you're taking on all of their stuff and you're not creating enough space for yourself to restore your energy. So you're blaming that person when really, it's just about navigating the time that you spend with people, how much time you spend with people, whether that's big groups or small, like one or two people at a time, the environment that you spend time with. Um, and how much time you're spending on yourself to restore that so there's not a clear answer i don't think in my in my head i think you just have to really look at realistically what's going on and and is this something that i want to fight for and has it been something that i think in the past would have been worth fighting for and if so like how am i going to do that
1: (laughs) 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 um Okay, opinions as experts Uh, help a coach out. Are some clients just uncoachable? No matter the strategies I use, I have one client who does 0% in terms of behavior change each week, but still wants coaching. I am at a loss. I have tried so many techniques to love this client forward. Anything I suggest is too little, and the big changes she wants um, just don't happen for her. She has an all or nothing mindset and is stuck in the past. We talk about this every week. Not one behaviour change has been implemented and she is upset that the scale hasn't changed, even though I'm a weight neutral coach for the most part and told her this would not be a focus. Anyway, I have the mind that it must be me. I haven't found the right plan or the way to reach her. But is it?
0: It might be you.
1: (laughs) by the way i'm not even in my luteal face um, and <laughs> um, just picking up on lynn's sassy pregnant hormones <laughs> that's
0: what it is. um no it, it it might be that you haven't found the right way to support her yet and it might be that she's not in a place ready to change yet it could be and it could be a combination of the two but even if it is that you haven't found the right way to support her yet that's not a failure on your part that's what coaching is is navigating all the different ways of supporting someone and finding out the best way to support that person so you're not failing you're just discovering the right way to support someone um but on the flip side yeah if you think about the trans theoretical model of change some people are are kind of in that contemplation phase and they'll maybe dip their toe into signing up to do some change but maybe they're not quite there yet but But I think it is important to remember that for a lot of people, they have made the commitment to sign up. And, you know, we work with people who start with us and then they say, you know what, I don't want to do this. This isn't for me. Like That does happen. And usually those people will come back and work with us a year later or six months later. Not always um, because it's a scary thing. So I think I would say a couple of things. Practically, I would ask her and say, okay, well, what do you feel this week you can commit to? You tell me. If you pick one nutrition habit, one uh, behavior habit, and maybe one exercise thing, what three things can you commit to? And are you sure you can put that into your schedule? Okay, let's make that promise to yourself that's what you're going to do. And... Letting her lead it. Autonomy is so important with coaching, and I actually had this conversation with a client yesterday, where we were laughing about it because I was like, "You realise I've not given you any advice in this. I'm just going to keep asking you questions." Because she's like, "I want to do more. I want to do X, Y, and Z." And I said, "Well, but why?" And the, like, I, I, we don't come up with solutions. We'll support people and we give resources and homeworks and we'll direct people, right? But autonomy in the coaching process is so important, and we know it leads to greater weight loss, greater behaviour change, etc. Right? So. It's really about how can you support her to be autonomous in her decision-making and make those promises to herself because this is what she wants. Another thing to consider is realistically, there's a reason that she doesn't want to change. What is it that's keeping her where she is? And and having that conversation with her too. Like ask her, what is the reason that you want to stay where you are? Or what do you think is the pull to stay where you are? And she'll probably say, well, nothing, I don't want to be where I am. But there is something. It's like with Benji and classic example of, we often don't want to give up binge eating even though objectively we do because it's our friend it's our comfort it's our coping strategy it's our protector um so we don't want to give it up that's really really common so you kind of have to have that conversation to, with, with her and say like what do you think about positive roles what's the benefit of staying where you are and identifying that um and then also thinking about how does any of this stuff align with what's important to her? I'm sure you've had the values conversation, but really have a call, like have a call with her and say, like, like, what are your values, and how does staying where you are and having these habits align with your values, and how does making these changes align with your values? Because maybe right now that's not necessarily clear, and she's doing things for weight loss, and she's not seeing weight loss, and so even though she might not, she you might be a weight neutral coach, if that's always been her marker of success and her outcome has always been focused on weight loss and that's not changing she's not going to be motivated so she needs to understand or she needs to start getting curious on need to support her and getting more curious about um the importance of like the work that she's doing now the various outcomes that you can look at now and and why that is important to her in terms of her values mm-hmm. and so
2: i had a, a check-in this week um on monday and my reply was just full of questions and then on tuesday we had a call and we were chatting about something very similar um and it's something that we probably see as a team in the first couple of weeks maybe the first couple of months of working with someone is most check-ins will say like oh i don't feel like i'm doing enough i feel like i should be doing more um and we just explore that and i think i just asked her a few questions around like well what is enough and what you think is enough is that sustainable right now with the long-term lifestyle that you want to be moving towards based on where you are right now like what's realistic within your week um what are your expectations of what you feel like you should be doing versus what actually is manageable right now um and then actually i sent her one of the podcasts i think that we did around the challenges that our clients face at first which usually is feeling like they want more and more and more when actually they're struggling to to kind of get these basics in and then um yeah we started our call and she was just absolutely laughing her head off and she was like yeah I don't know why I thought I needed to be doing like these 50 things she was like I'm just going to focus on this one thing this week because I can see how that's going to support me this week how that's going to help me build next week and we just kind of talked through like what she thought was the best plan of action short term to move her towards where she wants to be like long term um and I think when you're coaching, I've definitely done this before, like so many times, you feel like you have to give the answer because you want to show like value. Like, that's what I'm here for. But most of the time, actually, just kind of holding up that mirror and kind of saying, well, this is where you are right now. Like what what's realistic? And then like you said, Amelia, letting that client create their own um, plan, like have their autonomy can be really helpful because then they have control and they feel empowered rather than feeling like they're waiting for the answer from you.
0: Okay George's question correct
2: It is yeah um and it's from one of my clients so I'd love to hear more about why people experience all or nothing tendencies in life and habits and how to manage all or nothing tendencies in life not necessarily related to food
0: It's kind of like a cognitive distortion so it's this way of thinking that we develop from probably from childhood, um, which is obviously unhelpful to us in some way. It's like black and white thinking. And it, I mean, it can stem from loads of different things. And and I'm not here to kind of diagnose over a podcast why you may have developed all or nothing thinking, but it usually comes from the perfectionist mindset. And the perfectionist mindset usually comes from an inherent feeling of not being worthy as we are, often, not always. And we think if we do everything better and especially when we're younger and we're celebrated for achievements and we're celebrated when things go right as opposed to when things are maybe going wrong or more challenging we we start to realize that we're to get the better that we do and so when that's combined with like this perfectionist mindset or this can then create a perfectionist mindset of okay well if i just do everything really 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 well then i'll get all of this external validation that i need and And I'll finally feel like I'm doing everything right. And then I'll finally feel like I'm enough. And then what happens is that if you have one slight slight deviation from what you think is the best way of doing things, you feel guilt and you feel shame because it's not optimal and it's not perfect. And as a result of that guilt and shame, you then kind of fall into the nothing mentality of like, let's just screw it all because I can't do it well enough is perfect and I can't do it well enough. So why bother at all? We don't create that space for saying, well, 80% is actually really, really great. And that's actually what we're looking for. We're like, it's either perfect or it's crap. Um and so again, it, it can it can be stem from so many different like values and um stories that we are fed when we're younger and unintentionally, no, not through any blame of any caregiver. Um, and everyone is different in that but I think it's also exacerbated by like capitalist narratives and hustle culture and patriarchy and all of these things that combine to kind of tell us that the, the more we do, the better we are, the more we are, and the better we are, the prettier we look, the leaner we are, all of these narratives that say more and more and more is better. That just exacerbates this perfectionist mindset and this need to just do more and more. And then again, a slight deviation. It's like, n- Nope like that's not good enough at all so that confirms my narrative that I'm not enough I may as well not try and do anything at all.
1: Yeah most definitely I think in terms of challenging it we've spoken about this loads of times and that's implementing imperfect action like start as small as you need but get comfortable with things not being 100% all of the time and I thought of a new one today when I was at the gym. And did I take a photo just to document that I was at the gym? Yes. But <laughs> my one today was doing, I think it was like five minutes six as my warm up rather than five minutes. And like, I was thinking I was like past me would have done six minutes and I was like no past you would have done 10 because six is just meh it's like neither here nor there I was like oh that's a cool win I can do that and it was only because there was a a decent song playing at the gym I was like I'll listen to this and then I'll move on Um, but things like that that give you that little feeling of discomfort and then see how that then kind of infiltrates into other areas and how you feel a bit more flexible around food or in social situations and things like that
0: Mm. agree okay how do you set and stick to boundaries i find it difficult to set a boundary as i find it difficult to gauge if i'm being too hard or too soft this applies to both my relationship with my partner and my children i seem to doubt myself and never appear consistent
1: I would say as a general rule, if you have those worries that it's, it's not that you're going too hard <laughs> with the boundaries, um, there is, Becca did it, didn't she, the resource on boundaries, am I right in saying that? But there is an excellent resource on setting boundaries and kind of understanding where your where your boundaries lie and maybe areas of life that you do need to little, be a little bit firmer or there is a bit of flexibility with them. Um, that would be a really good one to work through, I'd say.
0: That's a great point. And this is my client, so I will 100% oh. recommend her to do this boundary <laughs> uh, resource. So thank you for that. Um, I, think, I think the question kind of is, does it matter if it's too hard or too soft in the context of what you're trying to achieve, in that your boundaries there to support your relationship, your boundaries there to support your space, your energy, to allow like a healthful connection, right? If you if that has a positive outcome on that, that if that has a positive effect on the desired outcome, then it's quote unquote the right level of boundary whatever that really looks like um if people don't change their behaviors and it's a valid boundary to set which again I, I suppose is part of the question um you know yourself with common sense if you're if you're saying to your children don't ever drop food on the floor ever again like you know that's never going to happen but if you're saying to your kids don't eat dinner in front of the tv we're going to have it at a dinner table that's a valid boundary right that's just common sense but if it's if you say okay we're going to eat dinner we're gonna the table every night and your kids continue to eat it in front of the tv and ignore you then that's that is too soft right because the outcome is not meeting the desired outcome so i think it's i don't think there's an answer of like too hard or too soft in the sense of is that boundary serving the purpose that it's supposed to serve which is usually fostering a stronger connection, or preserving your space. And I think sometimes, especially for people pleasers, we are, we don't think protecting ourselves is a valid reason for a boundary. And so then we think, well, is it too hard? Because really, it's only serving myself. But there's nothing like only about serving yourself that's still important. It's not selfish thing unless of course you're saying i'm not going to cook dinner for my children who are five years old for the next two weeks because i need to preserve my time and do my yoga session thing again common sense it's like that obviously wouldn't be correct so to speak maybe it is for your family maybe your five year old is like matilda and can i don't know actually cup her own dinner i don't know um so yeah i don't think there's a a clear one i think notice how you feel after setting it like do you feel guilty because your people please your people please often and can you sit with that guilt and know that that's just because it feels uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong or do you feel resentful because actually people haven't managed to stick to that boundary and so maybe you need to work on how you communicate it or the outcome of that boundary
2: I also just think to kind of add on that a little bit like Sometimes it's down to what you think a boundary is for. Like sometimes there's this misconception that a boundary is a rule and it's a rule that is like, you know, self-serving only. But when you're setting a boundary, you're communicating clarity, your expectations in a relationship, like what you expect from somebody else and also like what they can expect from you. And when you're clear, you're being really kind, like you can't, I'm just using sit example I'm not saying this is correct but like you can't let your kids eat in front of the tv and drop food all over the floor and run around mashing beans into the carpet and then get annoyed at them if you've never said to them this isn't okay this is what we're going to do instead but if you give them that that boundary that clarity of expectation then they understand if they're doing something that actually is going to frustrate you or is you know not actually what you want so yes it's helping you but it's like you said, it's, it's building connection. It's helping your relationship with your children or with your partner or with your friend or whoever. Um, and I think sometimes just understanding that can help take away some of that guilt because we feel like oh, I'm just kind of getting bossy and telling people what to do. And it's like, well, no, the other side is that actually you are creating a much healthier relationship so people know what's okay and what isn't okay and what what's crossing the line and what isn't. I
0: agree.
1: It is me, isn't it? Sorry, just I, think, about to I, think sw- I
0: think we i think we switched halfway maybe either way i don't know and i'll go for it i think it's you now
1: i'll go regardless um i feel sometimes i'm just doing stuff to tick a box rather than feeling the outcome like with body functionality slash appreciation i list and say thank you to my body but i don't always feel it
2: i mean i don't know if box ticking is a a bad thing like you have sometimes you do have to just tick a box to build a habit and to build a behavior and not saying like it's a fake it till you make it kind of thing but sometimes you do need to do the thing so that the thing becomes something that you just do without overthinking it and sometimes it's like well why am I doing that thing you know if you're going to the gym even though you don't feel like it and you're just ticking off getting two or three sessions done great because you're still going to improve your health you're still going to have the outcomes that you want so if it's a case of feeling super driven to do it or doing it just to tick the box like I think my opinion would be like is that really the end of the world
0: I agree to some degree to a large degree in that sometimes you will have to tick a box and we talk about this a lot with like resistance training and stuff sometimes for us resistance training is just ticking a box or sometimes going for a walk is ticking a box and you don't want to do it, but you're doing it because your future self will thank you for it. Um but I think I do I think that that's not a long term strategy. If you were ticking a body gratitude box for two years and after two years you still didn't feel that gratitude into your body, then that would be a bit of a um an orange flag of something to look at. Um because because the 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 intention behind something is really important and when you're box ticking sometimes the intention is to support your future self and sometimes you're box ticking to get a gold star from Anna when you check in the next week and again initially early on in this journey that like that's quite common and you just want to do everything right because you're you're a high achiever and maybe a bit of a perfectionist and so you want to do all those things but that's not necessarily going to serve you in getting the most like, that's not going to be a long-term strategy because Anna won't be there forever and then it comes well why would I still bother doing this so I think checking in with why like what's the purpose of that body functionality work what's the purpose of finding other ways to be grateful for your body aside from the way that it looks why are you doing that that's an important question to ask yourself and then I also think like what is it that's stopping you from feeling into it so when I would do body functionality work, I tend to do it at the end of a yoga session. And when I'm into shavasana, I will just run through my body quickly and just be like, thanks for letting me do this. And 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 whatever words come out of my mouth, it's generally those words. Um, It doesn't matter what they are, right? That's my time to really do that. And I, I imagine my words going to every little finger and every say little finger I've got giant long fingers but imagine (laughs) the words that are that I'm saying in my head going to like all the different parts of my body and I really visualize that and the reason for that is because I want to support my body image the reason for that is because I I don't want to develop a negative relationship with my body ever again because I know what that feels like so when it comes to you checking the box it's like you need to think about what is your purpose what's the purpose of this and Like is that actually something that you want Like, do you want to improve your body image and if not then that's not going to that's not something that you're going to want to do and don't take the box and don't do it because it's a waste of your time but if it is it's like well why am I so reluctant to do it why am I so reluctant to feel appreciation for my body is it because actually I'm scared if I feel appreciation for my body then I won't want to change it anymore or something else so I think really get into grips with why you have that reservation or is it because actually you don't understand then actually you you, you're not on board with that because it feels a little bit too a fairy for you and that's something else to work on
1: Mm. i was thinking whether it's i mean this client has she like she shares her lists of body appreciations they are exceptional but i'm wondering whether what's the word like running through a list okay, so why don't you pare it back and and just think of one thing that you are truly grateful for rather than, well, I have to do all of these different parts um, for the body functionality for it to be enough. No, let's just pull it back and, and find something really deep and meaningful that you can connect with and almost think like, sometimes we fall into that mindset with exercise that it's something that you have to do. No, it's something that you get to do. And obviously what both of you were saying is like, connecting with the purpose and why you're doing it while I'm doing this to support my body image okay so let me find something that I really am super grateful for super appreciative that my body has allowed me to do supported me to to do that day and take some pressure off in that sense
0: yeah I think that's such a good point That's such a good insight I think it's sometimes you start with the granular stuff of like I'm really appreciative for the my lungs for gas exchange and all these (laughs) things and you get really granular about it but once you've kind of got that awareness then just taking a step back and being like oh I'm really grateful for my body for learning this that's like that's that that's enough as long as you understand like the deeper the deeper stuff behind it so you're totally right maybe it's time to just then take a step back a little bit Georgia is it you I think it is you
2: I went then Anna went I think it's you but I'm happy to go again if you want me to just go for
0: it go for it it. who knows anymore
2: (laughs) I'll just keep going this is one of my clients so I'm curious on food and FOMO for example we have excuse me I've lost my mouth we have a buffet breakfast here and I always feel this desire to have as many different foods as possible like I'll miss out if I don't try it I reflected on this each day regarding my emotions and my mood and if I was happy, stressed, annoyed, relaxed, and it didn't seem to matter. I always wanted to have a food in case I miss out.
0: Okay. I'm not sure what the question is, but... um, Just insights, I think. Okay. It's not emotional eating. So great that you're looking before you eat you're checking in with your emotions to see what you feel like it's not emotional eating, it's scarcity around food because you might not have it again and to some degree with a buffet you're right it might not be there tomorrow but this ties in line with unconditional permission to eat it's something that we see at Christmas Easter times like this where food genuinely is scarce and you don't get year round this is often when unconditional permission to eat is challenged because it's like well I know that I can have it anytime I want but realistically i might not have the opportunity to have it again so i want it now and that's that's valid if something is truly delicious if if that was like a freshly cooked cinnamon bun hot on a hotel buffet the chances are i would have that every day for a week because i, I don't know when i would have it again but even that after about three days i'd probably be a, little, be a bit like kind of over it a little bit um but but the novelty of it, once you've had a mouthful of it, is going to is probably going to dissipate unless it's something great. So what I would probably do is share that cinnamon bun with whoever I was with at the hotel buffet, maybe not the first day, but certainly after that, and then supplement it with some eggs and some fruit and some vegetables. I'd probably do that anyway. Um. So if it's something that you think is truly delicious, have a bit of it. And have more of it if you really, really love it. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But recognise that it's probably after the first time not going to be something that you're so desperate for to have again. The novelty will probably wear it off. Um, I think sometimes we look for deeper meaning for things and most people have a little bit of FOMO at a breakfast buffet. But I also think too, when you truly get to the place of unconditional permission to eat and then you go to a breakfast buffet, you realise that a lot of the time the stuff at the breakfast breakfast buffet is actually not great. And that dry croissant, You've only got FOMO for that because you don't let yourself have the delicious fresh croissant when you go to a bakery down the street. So it's hotel buffets, I mean some of them, oh some of them are great. But some of them are crap. And if you if you've got FOMO for the crap and I say crap food colloquially, you know what I mean. No food is crap, but I mean a dry croissant, for example. If you've got FOMO of that, then think about your unconditional permission to eat outside of it. But if you've got FOMO for a hot cinnamon bun or your favourite food,
1: it's pretty valid because
2: you don't have
1: them often do you know what I love about buffets like just watching particularly breakfast ones just watching people from like all across the world like what are you having for breakfast obviously making no judgments but I'm like ah huh, never thought of that combination don't want to try it props not I'll stick with one
0: <laughs> yeah I
1: love it I'm like oh okay cool
0: you it- go yeah, you said because you automatically go to go for the same stuff of like maybe a husband Greek yogurt, maybe I have a little bit of cereal and then some toast, and then it's like oh they've got cheese and eggs and olives and I don't know a croissant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, pal. <laughs> oh, do you know I oh, just the love of just goofy. Uh there's one in that my friend Louise and I go to every year in Cos where we go together, and um they have a whole breakfast cart of different dried fruits but like dried papaya dried figs and everything like that and then like like fig jam and oh my gosh all the different seeds it's just heavenly oh I really want that now okay
1: moving on so hungry now <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just like filled up on. with water like that calm down oh that sounds
2: such... would be great right now
0: <sighs> yeah
2: thanks Amelia <Okay. laughs>
0: sorry <laughs> uh, Rosalind's question last question what practice or positive reinforcement can I carry out to prevent my kind of... Wait, to prevent my kind... I think it means mind, so I'm going to start again. What practice or positive reinforcement can I carry out to prevent my mind from automatically thinking more food equals weight gain? Mm. That's a great question. I don't think it's... I don't think there's a practice or a positive reinforcement in this situation. I think there might be that that I can't think of right now, but I don't think it's the answer. I think the answer is education and experience. So um thinking about oh well, what like realistically you could have more food and it's a giant bowl of lettuce or a nut or two nuts more food is the giant bowl of lettuce but it's not going to lead to a calorie surplus but two nuts probably won't to a I was going to <laughs> say you get that. the come idea <laughs> it's more calorie dense you get the idea okay <laughs> um so I think I think part of it is just educating yourself around food and and sometimes I think when we come from more of a perfectionist mindset we automatically think that understanding foods and macronutrients and things can be quite um toxic to that because we can become like kind of addicted and obsessed with knowing the numbers but actually i think sometimes when you have a this type of mindset where you struggle with thinking that all food is going to lead you to weight gain sometimes empowering yourself with the knowledge that that's not going to happen and and how foods can nourish you in other ways is actually really really helpful and so i think focusing less on the calories of foods and more about maybe it's macronutrients or maybe it's micronutrients thinking about well how does How do these two nuts like what micronutrients are in these two nuts and and how do they nourish me and thinking less about food volume and food calories and more about food nourishment and food micronutrients and nutrients is is a much more helpful way to do it and i think also too the experience of actually eating a little bit more and recognizing what actually happens when that when you do that is important but then i also think on the t- top of that and i don't know your situation but recognizing that weight gain is not inherently a bad thing for a lot of people for most people it's not a bad thing and it doesn't have a moral value and really getting into grips with why weight gain is such a negative in your mind um and I, again i don't know your situation so i don't know if it's if body fat levels are impacting your health in some way but weight gain is not inherently a bad thing and it's that's often a narrative that we tell ourselves based on society and culture and things like that when realistically for a lot of people weight gain can improve um, your hormonal profile it can improve your mood it can improve your energy it can improve your cognition it can improve your body image Um, so many things but we tell ourselves that none of those things are going to happen so like get curious about that too
2: mm, I think sometimes that one of my favorite things too oh yeah I was muted apologies
0: sorry (laughs) I muted you Georgia I'm really sorry not a problem (laughs) wasn't because I wasn't interested in your answer I promise
2: quiet Georgia (laughs) well (laughs) uh,
0: what were they saying
2: oh yeah so some of my clients um in menopause like one of my favorite things to work on with them is educating them around like the benefits of having unsaturated fats in their diet because so many of the women that I work with have spent years and years and years on a low-fat diet and they fear, like you said, eating more food because they they think of really food about weight, um, and kind of not really anything outside of that. I'm struggling for words. Um, and when we start to think about well, how unsaturated fats help with heart health, particularly once we are post menopause um there becomes a health element to it that they really enjoy and really get into. And then beyond that as well, like when they're actually eating to feel good, they have this energy, they go to the gym because they have the energy to do it. They have these more intense workouts, they want to walk more, they have more energy um for work, for their kids, and it, they forget about the fact that they had this fear previously of like, well, that's bad, or eating more food is bad. Um and like you said, it comes back to a bit of education and then evidence as well, like eating the food and seeing what happens and getting curious about how it affects your body um whether that's weight gain or not weight gain but actually like what happens when I eat these foods how do I feel um I I find that really exciting I don't know about you guys but I do get very into like let's talk about fats <laughs> I'm
0: not sure if I get that excited about talking about fats but I, think
2: I'm- just that I really like I, I like nuts I like avocados I like eggs and stuff I'm like look all this good stuff you're gonna get to eat that you've just been missing out on for years
0: I know
1: the angry Mm. that is like what you were saying Georgia that is the one thing I think so many people when they've come from a history of dieting or restriction or like fats are always even when they've done so much work on their relationship with food fats are always the one that they're like just kind of stay in the background a little bit when actually when you start to include a bit more then they're like oh I'm actually satisfied (laughs) with meals oh I just needed a spoon of peanut butter and that's made my breakfast like 10 times more satisfying and I can go three hours without thinking about food like small things like that yeah most Mm -hmm. definitely
0: yeah okay thanks everyone for your questions keep them coming in thank you both so much thank you thank you Mm bye-bye thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my instagram in the show notes